So today as part of our podcast series, which is powered by Upside Global, we have the honor to interview Dr. Ron Dick, Associate Professor with Sports Marketing at Duke University in the School of Business. So Ron, some of you may know, also worked for 20 years in sports, including 15 years in the NBA, with the Sixers and the Nets, and then four years in the NCAA. So Ron, nice to see you again on the show. Great to have you, and great to be here with you, Julian. Great. So, Ron, uh, what I want to talk to you about today was uh, first the end of the MLB lockout, and then uh, we'll talk about the Tom Brady's return. Uh, we'll also talk about March Madness, as well as the college transfer portal. Uh, we'll also talk about the Chris Rock Will Smith incident, and then the the fact that the F1 is coming to Las Vegas in 2023. How does it sound? Sounds great. Great. So the, the first topic, right, was obviously that, and I think everybody was surprised, that Tom Brady actually came out of retirement and is returning to the Buccaneers. But interestingly enough, uh, the head coach, Bruce Arians, is stepping down after three seasons as the head coach and is moving into the front office role. And then uh, uh, the, the defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, is going to replace him as the head coach. But I've heard that Tom Brady... Is, apparently he's not getting along with Todd Bowl. So the question is, will Tom Brady retire again or that, would he go somewhere else? Well, I mean, that's a very, very good question. Uh, the first thing I'd say is uh, Tom Brady spent some time at home and, uh, and probably was coming off without question one of his best years ever uh, as yeah. a player. And he had uh, buyer's remorse. He thought maybe I, I, I have more left in the tank. Joe Montana, another Hall of Fame quarterback who played with the Chiefs toward the end of his career, yeah. um, obviously known for his great success with the 49ers. He told he, him, he, he told him, play, you got to play until, uh, until you got nothing left. If not, you'll regret it. That was one of the things Joe Montana said. So him coming out of retirement, I, I'm not overly surprised by that. Um, I don't think he wanted to go out on a high note as far as uh, – having one of his best years. I mean, I don't know why he couldn't replicate that again. As far as Todd Bowles becoming the head coach, well, Todd Bowles is very qualified. He's been a head coach in the NFL. I see. Uh, he's never been had a player of the magnitude of Tom Brady to uh, be able to coach. But I, I think the, that relationship can be repaired. Oh, you think so? Winning solves a lot of problems and losing oh, creates yeah. problems. So <laughs> if they can win together, you know, we all get along a little bit better when we're winning. What do you think happened between Tom Brady? Do you know the, the, the reason of the conflict between them? Or? I have no idea what the conflict is between them. I, I, uh, I think Todd Bowles is primarily a defensive guy, so I'm not really sure why that would be uh, a problem. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll just have to see. Um, the, the, the second topic was obviously the MLB. So the uh, last uh -huh. month, you know, the MLB and the MLB Player Association struck a new collective bargaining agreement that ended the owner-initiated lockout at 99 days. And it is the right. second longest work stoppage in baseball history between the 1994-1995 player mm -hmm. strike, which was, I think, right. 232 days. So right. um, what's your take on, you know, the MLS, I'm sorry, the MLB season and, and so on? I think they both gave, gave some concessions and I think they were both just smart enough to realize that the demand for the sport could not survive a, a major lockout, like not having a season. Like we did not have a, uh, a World Series playoffs in uh, 94. 
and um, cooler heads prevailed. So I think the owners got no salary floor, which they don't want to have a salary floor. Certainly a team like the Pirates don't want a salary floor. Um, they still need the three years of service. Uh, so they have that manipulation of the service time still in place. And there is a luxury tax that, that goes over that tries to help some of the, uh, the teams that are, don't have as quite much revenue as some of the other teams, uh, primarily through television. And then the players, they've got a minimum salary now of seven, 700000 And in four years from now, that will continue to have bumps all the way up to seven eighty. So the minimum salary will be $780,000 per year. There is no salary cap, which is good. The designated hitter is in place. So I think that's good. But whenever billionaires take on millionaires, normally the millionaires lose. So I think the players struck the best deal they could. Both sides gave up enough. And they're going to get 162-game scheduling. They're going to have to do uh, some, or some sort of uh, – double headers and things to get that in um, by uh, early October. And um, we're just going to kick off the season a little bit later by about a week. And uh, I think it, you've seen this mad rush to get everybody signed and players are signing left and right. As we speak, uh, it was a really tight window. The ones that didn't sign in November. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, I think it's great that, uh, that we're going to have a, uh, a baseball season. That's great news for everybody. Yeah. Um, next topic, obviously, we're right in the middle of the uh, NCAA March Madness. So mm -hmm. I know you, uh, you know, you, you, you're following that very closely. So who's going yeah. to win this year? <laughs> who's who's going to win of the, the four teams that's left? Yeah. Um, so I think Villanova's playing Kansas. Am I right about that? And then North Carolina's playing Duke. Uh, mm -hmm. We should have definitely have that. Uh, I, I think that uh, I think Kansas is going to win it. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm -hmm. If I had to pick one team and, and uh, my life depended on it, I would pick Kansas, but I certainly think any one of the four teams, uh, true blue bloods and uh, great, great um, teams in the past. So I, I, I would say if I had to guess, I would guess Kansas. Okay. Well, I have to trust your, your judgment on that. So, Um, But there's so much there's so much else going on with that right now um, that's worth mentioning. Uh, the NCA we did they did not have uh, March Madness in 2020, and mm -hmm. uh, let's be clear about this: March Madness, uh, the television rating ratings deal, the money they get from that from CBS, TBS, TNT, and True TV mm -hmm. helps helps pay the operating budget for all the other sports, male and females sports. So you're looking at um, the operating budget needing that revenue. So that really uh, hurt uh, Indianapolis and the NCA uh, when that didn't happen. So this money will pay for all what we sometimes call non-revenue producing sports or Olympic sports. And uh, the other thing that happened is I want to touch base just a little bit on the St. Peter's thing. You know, mm -hmm. as we see as we see the bigger conferences, like all of a sudden the SEC with all the deep pockets of the football, uh, they're planning players in the NFL more so than any other conference, the SEC. So now that's kind of carried over to basketball. And now the basketball teams, I think they set the record for the most amount of teams that made the NCAA tournament in SEC history was this, this year right now in 2022. Mm -hmm. So the revenue is split up amongst all the teams in the conference. So 
you'll notice that a lot of the teams don't play each other from the same conference until we get to the sweet 16 or the elite eight or to the final four. And that's all by mm -hmm. design because they want to maximize the units that you get paid. So this St. Peter's situation where you're looking at a school in the Mac with 10 other schools, and there's two different Macs. This one is the MAAC as opposed to the MAC from Ohio and Michigan and Indiana. Uh, this one, they made $6 million additional to the Mac because, million, they got wow. to, because they got to the Elite Eight. So normally one unit or one share is worth $334,000. But in this case, there was an additional uh, 100,000 per six years to each team times 10 teams. So that's $6 million. What does this do to a university? like St. Peter's. Now, St. Peter's has less than 2,200 students. So it's, it's a smaller school. And uh, now you say, well, how much more money did St. Peter's get then? They get five to 10% more money than every other team in the conference. So it's very much structured like your European model, where everybody, when the tide comes in, all the ships go up, just not St. Peter's ship. And uh, they really need that revenue. Uh, we have a lot going on in higher education. Some people are aware of it. Some people aren't. But there's there's less children in 11th grade than 12th. There's less children than 10th and 11th. There's less students in 9th and 10th. In 2025, which all of a sudden is not that far away, there's an absolute cliff. Right. And then it declines. And then 2031, nine years from now, is uh, there's another cliff. And that's the new normal. So you'll see a lot of universities close. Uh, right. we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to construct more universities we need to deconstruct them we like them in our community like we like hospitals like we like universities mm -hmm. but we like but but they are uh the pie is getting smaller uh, coming out of high school that's where we get all of our clients so it's getting very competitive right now any school out there that has less than seven million dollar endowment and less than 1500 students they 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 will not make it and that's just a known fact. So what what is that going to happen? Why is that? Is it because they don't make enough revenue? Or what, what's the they don't make enough revenue to keep their lights on, to pay their bills. Huh. So when something like St. Peter's happens, we call that the Flutie factor. And that goes back to Doug Flutie in 84, throwing the pass to Phelan in the end zone. He catches the pass, he wins the mm -hmm. Heisman, they win the championship. People donate money more to their alma mater because they feel warm and fuzzy about them because they're their athletic success, and then more people apply to go to that school. So the Flutie factor can really, or athletics can really help the endowment and, and the number of students attending the school. Uh, and I think that'll happen to a certain degree at St. Peter's. Now you've seen their head coach has already parlayed this into the job, the job at Seton Hall, which of course Seton Hall is their neighbor and Seton mm -hmm. Hall is a member of the Big East. And that's where he played basketball as an undergraduate. So that kind of makes sense. So he's already cashed in. And now the university hopefully will do well. Uh, Doug Eaterts, he uh, with the mustache, he signed a nil deal, uh, name, image, likeness with the Buffalo Wild Things. Mm -hmm. So one of their players is actually making money additional because of their success too. So that will just continue to continue uh, occurring um, as we go forward. Interesting. Um, and then the next topic, and I know that you brought that up. Um, ever since the NCA implemented its new transfer rules back in April, 2021, the number mm -hmm. of players 
uh, using the transfer portal as mm -hmm. skyrocketed. So with the final yes. four still remaining in this year, 2021-22 college basketball season, uh, a whopping 1,000 Division I men's basketball players have entered their names into the portal, right? So for those yes. who don't understand, what is the, the transfer portal? How does it work? And why is that important? So, so there, there's roughly... Uh, 354 division one programs. Let's just think of division one for the moment. Yeah. Then there's 10 to 12 players on a team. So you're talking around 4,000 players and you can now transfer. If you're, if you're not happy with the school, you're not happy with the coach. You're not happy with your playing time in particular. Yeah. You, you can then put your name into the transfer porthole. You can also take your name out of the transfer porthole and stay with the team you're with. The coaches have contracts and these contracts are not always honored when they get offered to go to another school. Unlike the NBA, where if one coach is under contract with a team, you're not allowed to tamper with them. Well, that tampering happens all the time with the coaches. So this is giving the flexibility to the player where they don't have to sit out one year. Historically, they had to sit out one year. They identified another team that they want to transfer, another university they want to transfer to. So the fact that there's already 1,004 as of yesterday people that are in the transfer porthole, some might say that seems high. Um, it kind of goes back to the AAU model, whereas if I'm not the star on this AAU team, I'll just make up my own team and then I'll be the star. So I like what Bonaventure does. They, they pick uh, six or seven players and they play them each like 30 minutes a game. And that way we know we can keep these seven players happy. And then the rest of the players probably will transfer. And then they do. So it, it's, um, it, it certainly gives the, the student athlete more uh, control over their future, which I think is a good team, a good thing, but, but it also leads to a lot of um, instability in these programs. It's almost like you have to re-recruit your team every single year. Exactly, and yep. and the and the whole like Bobby Knight mentality of my way or the highway that seems to be something of the past. You have to be not a drill sergeant and a taskmaster anymore. Today, you have to kind of be a, a shrink. You have you have to be a a coach. You have to be a teacher, yep. uh, and and as a result, uh, you got to facilitate more. And uh, some coaches are making that adjustment, while others are not. So it's uh, the player has more control now over their future than ever before. And I think that's a good thing, but it is adding to some uh, instability. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, has some impact. Um, the next topic, obviously, you know, last weekend, there was a big, it was a big controversy, right? So actor Will Smith took the stage of the Oscars and slapped Chris Rock mm -hmm. because of a joke he made uh, about uh, Will's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. So what is your take on this whole incident? Well, I don't, I don't think violence is ever the answer. Uh, it's my understanding that after the slap, which I, some people say this thing was staged, I don't necessarily believe that it, it was staged? staged. I do not believe it was staged. I could be wrong, but I don't think it was staged. Mm -hmm. The, um, well, I mean, I'm from Philly, so I can say this. You can take the kid out of Philly, but you can't take the Philly out of the kid. And then when yeah. they're young, and then, then when their son says, 
you know, that's us being us, you know, it's, uh, it's like, I don't think that's healthy. I, I, I don't think, I think Will Smith primarily has been a really good guy. Um, but I think he made a, a really big mistake right there and he will be remembered for that probably for the rest of his life. And that's really unfortunate, yeah. you know, none yeah. of us are only the worst thing we've ever done. Um, he was asked to leave and he chose not to leave. And then of course he won the Academy Award. So what do you think that is? What do you think? Cause he knew he was going to win. Oh, I, I, no, I mean, that was already determined that he was going to win. I mean, that, that those cards were already printed up, but he, um, I don't think it's over yet. Uh, But one of the the sidebars to this, which is very interesting, Chris Rock started Mm -hmm. two days ago, his comedian uh, tour, and he sold out in almost overnight after the slap. And it's kind so of like, hey, I want a stage. Are you saying it was staged then? No, it was not staged. It was not staged. But that's one of the byproducts of this was everybody wants to. I mean, I've seen Chris Rock in, in concert. And he's very entertaining. Yeah. But this this really made it interesting to see what he was going to say about that whole incident. Yeah. So he started in Boston two days ago. Yeah. And. And everybody's buying, buy, bought up the tickets. As a matter of fact, StubHub says they're going for three times what they originally were priced. Wow. StubHub, the secondary market, keeps track of these things. And um, it's become a hot ticket overnight because of the slap. So mm-hmm. very interesting. Um, he stayed, uh, supposedly there was a heckler that was yelling things about Will Smith. And it seems like uh, Chris Rock took the high road and said, uh, I'm going to stay away from that. And, you know, let's, let's not go down that road too far. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, but I was, I was shocked when I, when I saw the, the incident, I just couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. Nobody could, no, nobody could. Um, I'm glad they didn't start fighting. I'm glad Chris Rock didn't try to grab him. Um, but yeah. it was, and then Denzel Washington, and uh, Perry went up and tried to talk to him and uh, calm him down a little bit. And, uh, you know, hopefully someone up to someone went up to Chris Rock and checked on how he was doing, too, because he was the one that was slapped. But it looked real. It looked pretty real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, so the, the last topic of, of the, the podcast today is, and I don't know if you're a fan of Formula One. I actually started mm-hmm. watching the Formula One documentary on Netflix. It's actually really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, so the F1 is going to come to Las Vegas in 2023, and obviously in the U.S. it's all about NASCAR. And I was actually talking to NASCAR about two weeks ago. I'm actually talking to them today again. But mm-hmm. uh, do you think that it, it makes sense for F1 to come to Las Vegas? Yeah, I think so. Um, they've got lots of land there. Um, it's uh, it's a city that in 1983 had like 400,000 of it. Yeah. people live in it and now it's up over two million and it's just growing and growing and growing out into the sand i mean the fact that the, we have a football team there we have a hockey team there yeah. like why wouldn't other events come there and uh they got plenty of room to still build a really nice track mm-hmm. you know out of the city a little bit and uh yeah i mean it it, it seems to be uh the present and the future more events coming to vegas uh why wouldn't they? It's 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 a it's a destination. Um, yes, they need more actual as they grow. They need more firemen and policemen and teachers building out and out into the sand. But but at the same time, it's uh, it's they're not landlocked. 
and they can um, continue to to bring events in. I mean, it, it's a great place to go to bachelor parties and and um, and bachelorette parties and to vacation and to bring in conferences. Mm-hmm. When you say, "Hey, I'm going to a conference in Vegas," it's like, "Wow, it's not, you know, it has like a certain that. appeal." Like, "Hey, I'm going to Orlando to see Mickey Mouse." So, so yeah. it's all good. Uh, I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I, I think it makes complete sense. And I, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe many years ago that there was an F1 race in the U.S. too, right? I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been. Yeah, absolutely, that's been here before. Right. So look, we we're at the end of the podcast, but I also want to thank you for for your time, as always. always my pleasure, Julian. Always my pleasure. All right, but thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.